Hi, everybody, and welcome to RV Miles, your home for RV and camping news, reviews, travel guides, and more. I'm Jason. And I'm Abby, and this is episode 65 of the RV Miles podcast. If you'd like to get today's show notes, you can head over to rvmiles.com slash podcast. And if you want to keep up with RV Miles, head over to social media such as Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And Jason and I and Jack, Ethan, and Henry are at OurWanderingFamily.com. And we are also on social media at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube. On today's special episode, we're going to discuss the state of our national parks. There's been a lot in the news lately, in particular because of some potential legislation going through about this giant maintenance backlog that the national parks have and just the fact in general that that our country needs to invest more in our national parks and we're very fortunate to have john garter of the national parks conservation association on the show today and he's going to talk us through a bit of the workings behind this big deficit that the park service has and different ways that we're working to fix it want to say right away (laughs) that we are coming to you from las vegas nevada right now like downtown we are Las Vegas, <laughs> Nevada. We are essentially in a parking lot of a hotel, casino, RV park. So, it's just a giant parking lot of cars, RVs. So point being, and we're right across the street from Fire Station. Uh, so point being, you may hear some sounds <laughs> like a helicopter just went yes. overhead. Uh, we're not that only, one wasn't close, but some of them are getting pretty close. We are not only in a parking lot of other RVs. We're also backed right up against, is it Highway 15? Yeah. It's just flying right past <laughs> us. We are only about a block and a half from Fremont Street. It's a, we're, we're staying <laughs> at the Main Street Station Casinos RV Park. And it's, you know, like the other RV parks in cities, it, it's a parking lot, but it's, you know, it's a good deal. It's, it's got, a great deal. It's got full hookups and... Uh, the bathrooms look like it looks like a hotel bathroom the way they have it set up in there. It's one of the nicer bathhouses we've ever actually been in. I did a little Insta story on it because I thought people would probably appreciate it. And they did. The only real downfall of this place is, as we just found out today, they don't want bus conversions here. No, uh, we're not welcome. <laughs> they've been super so. nice to us and are allowing us to stay. We're only here two nights. Uh, but if you have a bus conversion uh, you're going to have to look somewhere else. Yeah, don't come here. They don't want you here. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas <sighs> unless you have a bus conversion then you have to leave. <laughs> but that's where we're at right now. And I laugh too because we just came from Utah where we just did a week in Zion. And the back half of that week, we spent boondocking on BLM land with spectacular views and just kind of to ourselves, a few other RVs in and around us, just really like one with nature And we go from that to the very next night we leave there. And that night we're staying in an RV parking lot, downtown Vegas, the complete polar opposite of what we were just doing. Yeah. I mean, it's (laughs) like, you know, if I were to roll down the window and put my hand out, I could, I could touch the slide of the RV next (laughs) to us on either side. On either side. So there's, there's no room to do anything. It's kind of like when we left Salt Lake City too. We have this thing about transitions from one place to another where they seem lately to be just complete opposites. When we left Salt Lake and we had done four days in a hotel at Salt Lake, we left Salt Lake. And then that night 
we boondocked in a Walmart parking lot. So we went from four nights in a hotel suite to boondocking in Walmart. Then we go from beautiful BLM land near Zion National Park. To the lovely sounds of the freeway. To the lovely sounds of the freeway here in Vegas. But but that's that's the nomadic life. That's That's the travel life. That's what I love so much about it. (laughs) And it's kind of fun. All the lights around us and, you know, noise, traffic noise doesn't bother me. I actually sleep better because there's noise around us. Anyway, we're going to talk a lot about the national parks uh, and I'm excited to play this interview for you guys coming up. We also have some news and a new brain teaser, the answer to last week's brain teaser and a whole lot more. But first, This episode is sponsored by a big National Park supporter, L.L. Bean. That's right. And this year, L.L. Bean is joining up with the National Park Foundation, the official nonprofit partner of the National Park Service, to help you find your happy place in an amazing system of more than 400 national parks, including historic and cultural sites, monuments, preserves, lake shores and seashores that dot the American landscape, many of which you'll find just a short trip from home. L.L. Bean is proud to be an official partner of the National Park Foundation, and you can discover your perfect day in a park at findyourpark.com. L.L. Bean just opened a store in Park City. Hello, the West. just opened it at uh, the end of last week, So, and they are heading west. They don't have stores in the West. And uh, and we were just in Salt Lake City is uh, like 20 minutes from Park City. We went up to Park City, which was really cool. Uh, We just missed their store opening. It's too bad. We did. But and now I, if you're in Utah, you can go. You can. And another thing I really love, too, is that anytime we have on a couple of the L.L. Bean things that we own and we're out here in the West, someone will always guaranteed every single time come up to us and assume that we're from the East Coast and be like, I'm from Maine. Are you from <laughs> Maine? You have on L.L. Bean. And we'll go, no, we're not. But we can't wait to get up to Maine because you guys clearly really love L.L. Bean up there. You're very proud of it. So it's great that they have one in Park City. I'm excited on next week's episode to dive in a little bit to our time in Salt Lake and our time in Park City as well. All right. Before we get into the sort of one big national news item we have this week, we want to mention our latest episode of the America's National Parks podcast. It's spooktacular. Yes, it's a a paranormal episode. I'm not convinced that Halloween is... Right around the corner. Oh, it's <laughs> it always sneaks up on me, just as our yeah. anniversary always sneaks up on me because I'm not anticipating Halloween, that I'm not anticipating our anniversary. And things then things start to <laughs> compile right away. They do. Ha- there's Halloween, and, and then November 1st is our anniversary. This year it is our 10th anniversary. And we heard somewhere that on the 10th anniversary, you get somebody a trip to a national park. <laughs> so that's what we're, we're actually, actually... We're on our way to LA and we're we're going to be staying with some family, Abby's brother, for a while. And they're going to watch the kids for us on our anniversary. And we're trying to decide what to do. I think we're going to... Jason really wants to go to the Channel Islands. Yeah. I am all for it. I think it looks beautiful. It's a little daunting to figure out what to do because the Channel Islands are islands and you have to take boats out to get to them. And the boat tours go to the different islands on different tours. I'm not quite sure which one is the best one to go to, which makes the most sense. But I hear this time of year is a great time to see the seals or sea lions. I'm not quite sure which one. One of the two. Don't look at me. Yeah. (laughs) Don't look over here for help. You're on your own with this one. (laughs) Anyway, uh, we may be doing that. We may take a hike. We may go to Disneyland. I'm not quite sure. Shh. Don't tell the kids. Don't tell the kids. 
Yes. Yeah. If we do that, that is like way incognito. <laughs> Um, all right. So check our Halloween based episode out of the America's National Parks podcast, because I think you're really going to love it. Even if you're not listening to this around Halloween, if you're listening to it later, still check it out. It's pretty good. And uh, and then we also, of course, want to mention that we have RV chat this Sunday at 8 p.m. on Twitter, as we do every Sunday. If you're interested in joining us for a Twitter chat, they're pretty fun. This Each one's going to be food based. Oh, is it? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the actual topic is yet. I'm still working on that. It's going to be food based, though. He will know the actual topic at about 7.56 p.m. Central Time. Starts at 8. He'll have it wrapped up about four minutes before he gets, has to go. <laughs> Jason really loves working under the clock pressure. Shh. <laughs> Sorry, I gave away another one of your professional secrets. <laughs> but it's fun. Every week it seems to get more and more enjoyable as more and more people are joining us. And the community is starting to build. More people are coming back every it's cool week. because brands yeah. interact too a, a little, a little bit. Usually the next day or two, yeah. brands come on and like like and retweet tweets because they're not they're not working on Sunday nights. No, but. they're just they stock it a little <laughs> bit and just kind of like feel it out and decide yeah. what they want to do. But it's just fun. It's nice to talk to other people who enjoy this lifestyle as well. And sometimes I think on the road it gets really hard to have that community where you all can come together and kind of celebrate the lifestyle, you know, especially here at this particular RV park, like nobody is out. I mean, they are out, but they're all in the casino. So it's just kind of like us in the bus. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of drawn curtains around here yeah, right now. Yeah. Nobody wants to talk to anybody around here right now. That's fine. So it's great that RV chat on Sundays is there for us to all kind of come together and geek out a little bit about RVing. Okay. Big news item this week. Camping World is the recipient of a class action lawsuit uh, from its investors. Rup row. <laughs> Trouble so at this Camping is, World. This is going around quite a bit. And there's there's some weird, uh, what's the word, schadenfreude happening from, from some of the other companies that do some of the same things that Camping World does. Like, you know, Camping World also owns Good Sam. And Good Sam is one of the big uh, extended warranty companies uh, among the other things they do. And there's an extended warranty company that put out a press release saying that uh, they're offering a lifeline to camping world customers and, and good Sam customers that are going to, you know, that are going to be out of luck when camping world disappears. That's not happening. Listen, <laughs> that is not happening. Camping listen. world is massive. They're not going they're anywhere. Not going anywhere. <laughs> but the sharks smell blood in the they water. Do. And they're circling, and that's just the way it goes. That's the way it goes when you play hardball and you kind of get into some of the questionable stuff that Camping World is being accused so of. What so what happened is in 2016, Camping World went public. And in the years since, they have bought all the Gander Mountain stores that we've talked about many times. And over this, the course of this sort of the past year, They've made some big errors on their their quarterly financial statements, and they've had to revise them. Some have been late. Uh, they had to get rid of uh, one of their chief financial people that had been with them for like 13 years. And the result of that was early on this year, their stock price was inflated to like $46. And in recent months, up and you know, up until late. September into October, 
their stock price has bottomed to $19. They lost 60% of their market value. In their financial statements, they're saying they're, they're losing market share to other, other RV dealers, that the Gander rollout has not gone well at all. And, uh, and their investors are not happy and they're accusing CEO Marcus Limonis and some of the uh, other officers of Camping World Holdings of not being honest in many of these financial statements that have led to them sort of losing a lot of money. And the company did a big sell off of stock when the price was inflated, too. And I think that's that's the shadiest thing that we're hearing about. Yeah, there's a lot of red flags being flown right now and you start messing with people's money yeah and people are going to be a little upset i think that's the nicest way i can put it this article and we'll link to it in the show notes it is interesting and i don't think at this point we're recording on a wednesday so we're recording a little bit earlier than we normally do i don't think camping world has issued any kind of statement no. In response to the lawsuit, but everybody's writing about this and everybody's jumping on it. And a lot of the comments that we have seen come across on the article that we've been seeing on social media is that even consumers, you know, we have talked about this a lot. People, you either love Camping World or you hate and Camping most, World. Most hate and most people world. hate Camping World. A lot There's, of those people have never been to Camping World, but most people are but pretty well the, aware of maybe we should stay away from Camping World because a lot of stuff goes down yeah. there. The court of public opinion is that Camping World is less than stellar in regards to their quality and their customer service. That's and, and look, we've said this before. Our opinion is dealers in general have a reputation of being less than stellar. And there are some great dealers out there, don't get me wrong. But you need to be careful of dealers. Everybody has known this forever for the history of vehicle dealerships that you have to be careful of dealerships. And Camping World is the only major brand. So they are it's the only national. one we hear about. And they get saddled with a lot of the quality issues in the industry as well. And people complain, my RV is falling apart. I bought it from Camping World. I'm going to blame them when they didn't build it. But, but that said, is people have a big service issue getting getting their RVs yes. fixed there as well. And everything we just said is in no way whatsoever in defense of Camping World inside of this lawsuit. This is a, to it's me, a totally different thing. this yeah. is a totally different thing. Yeah. This is not at the ground level at the dealership. This is happening up in the corporate office. And this is not probably the last time we're going to be talking about this. Well, I hey, this it. on the flip side, the, we all know that the RV industry is booming like crazy. This could be a, a potential investment opportunity if you, you know, if you're interested in getting some RV industry stock, which I don't think is the worst idea in the world. Camping World is at a, as is at a low. Are you legitimately suggesting people go buy Camping World I mean, stock? I'm when not giving you financial advice. I don't suing? have advice. I, you know, maybe pick up a few shares. I don't know. Well, we're not picking up a few shares. <laughs> not at all. No, could, drop, could drop more. No, nope. that's true. I, you know what? It, they could pay me and I probably still <laughs> wouldn't take the shares at this point. I don't like when people's hands seem dirty in business. That's very true. That's very true. But some of it does seem like a lot of honest mistakes, but still the mistakes are a sign of just 
just poor, just mismanagement, you know, even, even if these, if, even if none of this is intentional, it's all just terrible management. Yeah. Right. All right. That's our big news item for the week. Uh, I wanted to do, we just sort of gotten away from doing the app recommendations and the tips and all that. We need to make sure to do one of those on every episode. We're going to try to keep doing that. Yeah, don't look over here at me. I know. You keep looking at me as well, though I'm supposed, going you, to do you something. Got, you got a tip that you were going to give, but we'll, we'll wait till next week to that one. I have a tip. Because you don't remember it right now, but no. you said you had one you wanted to do. I probably had a book recommendation. That's like the <laughs> only thing I can think of. Anyway, I wanted to talk a little bit about lighting fixtures in RVs because I came across a post uh, taking pictures of halogen lighting fixtures in a RV that had black scarring and melting on them. And this particular person was really frustrated with the build quality of their RV and the fact that they've actually gone through several of these light fixtures uh, throughout their RV that have burnt out like this and they're concerned about of course about their rv lighting on fire and that kind of stuff i'm in sort of an interesting position to to address that because my degree is in lighting design and i i jason loves to create an atmosphere <laughs> with lights <laughs> I, well i there there was a problem in the lighting industry throughout like the late 90s and the early 2000s until leds really caught on where the lighting industry was taking these tiny halogen light bulbs. And these are the ones that are, are in virtually every RV that was built from the late 90s until the, the mid 2000s and putting them in small fixtures, small enclosures. The problem is these suckers get real hot and they get a lot hotter when there are voltage problems in the RV. And you can be parked somewhere plugged in where the voltage is a little down, a little up, or you can have a converter that's going bad and it's causing a little bit of an off voltage. There can be all sorts of things that might cause changes in the voltage. And when that happens, these things really overheat and they burn up the fixture. I mean, it literally turns black and melts, which is, you know, scary, right? So the thing I want to mention is, and I think a lot of people are doing this, of course, is that they do make retrofit LED light bulbs. So you can go on Amazon, I'll put a link to um, a couple examples, but you have to make sure to get the right ones with the right base for your fixture. And you can sort of pull the old halogen light bulb out and and just sort of match it with the picture on, on Amazon or wherever you might buy it. And you can retrofit these bulbs and you don't have to buy a whole new fixture. And that's what a lot of people do is they go out and they buy a whole entire new fixture and that could cost a lot of money. They sell them at Camping World. Uh, and, you know, it can cost $70 for a single light fixture, which is crazy absurd when you can get just the LED bulb to stick in for a couple bucks a piece. So if you have halogen fixtures, go out and get those LED replacement bulbs. You're going to use a tenth of the energy, maybe even less. I haven't done the math in my head. Probably a lot less, probably like a 20th of the energy of a halogen bulb. It's going to be brighter. The LEDs have gotten, the color of LEDs have gotten a lot better. We're sitting under our nice warm light LEDs. They used to be super white Oh, they and used harsh. to be harsh. It was yeah. like sitting in an office just Don't get, all day long. It, you, you might be tempted to get daylight LEDs because that sounds nice, right? But the daylight ones are the harsh ones. 
daylight temperature LEDs are great for task lighting. So they're great to put maybe over your uh, your island if you have an RV with an island in it uh, or to put in your your bathroom makeup mirror, that kind of stuff. You know, a place where you might do small handwork like sewing or knitting, those kinds of things. People like to use daylight task lighting. But for for the most part, you want to get warm LEDs that's going to give you a nice soft glow that's not going to hurt your eyes. And if you do get that melting and black scarring, rest assured your RV's not going to burn down because of it. That's actually the plastic doing what it was intended to. It's it's fire resistant plastic that is made to melt instead of igniting. The plastic is actually saving the RV, but you do want to get those replaced because they're they are literally universally awful isn't it really nice to put your college degree to it work is. I've, on I've, the rv miles podcast i look forward to the day where i can take my musical theater degree with an emphasis in acting sing and bring sing. that do it not sing doing it, not doing it and bring that to the rv miles podcast with my tip of the week maybe my <laughs> tip of the week will be here are my top five musicals that you should be listening to because <laughs> that's what every RVer likes to do when they're chugging down the road, right? Blare a little phantom of the opera. Do you remember when, um, you remember when in the late nineties, everybody had those really tall, like corner lamps. Yeah. that sort of had the dish. Like it looked like a walk on the top. Yes. Those, those tall corner lamps. Those were, those were like, those are halogen lamps with tiny halogen bulbs. Doesn't my mom still have one of those behind her A lot her of chair? people have yeah, those. Yeah, I was going to say, I think. One of those still exists. Somewhere. Those have caused a ridiculous number of house fires, and it's for the exact same reason. I really thought that was going to be some sort of theater thing you were about to no, tell no, me, but no, it's, no it no. wasn't. It's a lighting thing. Yeah. More lighting. Everybody loves lighting. I know. It's funny because when we met, and even still today, I am married to a lighting designer, and I, man, I couldn't tell you one light bulb from another, but I can tell you which way stage left and which way stage right. Because that's hard. All right, let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to have our interview with John Garter with the National Parks Conservation Association, as well as the answer to last week's brain teaser. I'm not sure which one of those things is more important. Oh, I You'll have to find out. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back. All right, we are back in the lovely Las Vegas traffic Viva surrounding Vegas. us in all directions. We haven't had a siren yet on the show. It may happen. It may still happen. They were busy earlier today when we were trying to record National Parks podcast. Yeah, you know, somebody told us we we mentioned that we've we in a, a couple episodes ago that we have gone uh, we've gone through recording in different locations in our car, uh, and finally we've come up with a method that we're happy with with these new microphones just in our living room. At but, midnight. But we tried an episode outdoors and we thought it was a disastrous failure. But somebody wrote in was and 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 said after we mentioned that a couple of weeks ago that that was one of their favorite episodes because they <laughs> loved the sound of the wind and all that sort of stuff. We so, may try doing more of that. So here, so we've here, given it here to you. You get, uh, you get the sound of the urban the sound landscape. Of the urban landscape. Uh, so, <laughs> all right, let's do the answer to last week's break teaser. How about that? Let's do it. It went like this. 
There is a dead man in the middle of a field. Nothing's near him, and there's no footprints of any sort. There's a package that hasn't been opened next to him. How did the man die? Hint, as he got closer to the field, he knew he was going to die. And boy, did we get a lot of answers to this one. (laughs) I couldn't, I didn't think too long on this. I mean, I think anyone who's listened now knows that like, I give these about 30 seconds worth of thought and then I usually have to move on and I don't think about it again until next week. Not at all did I even think that the answer was that he was a parachuter. Like that didn't even come into my world. The package was a parachute. Yes. And so many people. I loved it. So many people emailed us. You've all heard this one before. Yeah. And many of you are like, this is why I don't jump. (laughs) (laughs) So Jason is only just sort of feeding on those fears this week with his brain teaser because it was a parachuter. It was. So the winner this week is Lisa Edelman of Connecticut, who will receive a Not All Who Wander Are Lost t-shirt. And you'll have your chance to win one yourself at the end of the show with this week's brain teaser. All right, let's get into our big National Parks episode. But first, this segment is sponsored by Boondockers Welcome. Built by RVers for RVers, Boondockers Welcome offers a unique and inspiring way to travel connecting you, the RVer, with welcoming local hosts that have overnight RV parking to spare. Boondockers Welcome is built on the spirit that kindness and generosity abound. And for only $30 a year, you too can arrange as many stays as you like to pass a night with those who love the RV lifestyle as much as you do. And best of all, Boondockers Welcome is offering RV Miles listeners 10% off an annual guest privilege subscription with coupon code RV miles, and that's going to be all one word. So you will have this entire subscription for a year, and then you can book for free as many boondocking nights with hosts across the country as you would like. 10% off an annual guest subscription privilege pass with the coupon code RV miles. Head over to boondockerswelcome.com to sign up and get started today, or we'll have a link in the show notes. I'm excited about this. The national parks are obviously super important to us as everybody who listens knows we spend a lot of time in them and we just left Zion. So it's been a, you know, a great experience there. And uh, it's one of our favorite parks and we've been lucky enough to be at it twice this year and to experience it in different seasons. And you've all heard probably that national parks are facing a budget crisis and have been over the last several years mostly regarding around this thing called a maintenance backlog. And it is stuff that needs to be maintained that hasn't been. And we thought it would be good to bring somebody on to talk about that. So we're so pleased to have with us on the show today, John Garter, the Senior Director of Budget and Appropriations for the National Parks Conservation Association. And who better to speak about the backlog And what really needs to be done for our parks than someone who works tirelessly day in and day out on behalf of our parks. So without any further ado, here is my interview with John Garter. John, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So first, John, if if you could, I'd love to get a little bit of a, a history on the maintenance backlog, what it is, how much it is. I've heard this 20, $12.5 billion number and what that all includes. Sure. So 
this has been a problem that's been growing for some time. Essentially, a lot of infrastructure is aging. Uh, some of it has reached the end of its lifespan. Other facilities have just not received the day-to-day -day maintenance that they've needed, and so they have been essentially crumbling in disrepair. Uh, so that the first problem is that these are old facilities, old infrastructure, and the second is that they have not received the capital investment that they need to be maintained. As a result, over the years, what has grown is now an $11.6 billion backlog. Uh, this is the repairs backlog that comprises everything from roads, bridges, tunnels, and other transportation infrastructure, trails, water, and wastewater systems. These are things that visitors don't think about when they use the restroom or a drinking fountain, but these are things that require a good deal of infrastructure. It does cost money to repair. And so now we're in the situation where there's a threat that if this goes on longer, we could be looking at closure of facilities. It's a problem that really needs to be addressed now. And obviously, as any maintenance problem goes, I assume the more you delay some issues, the worse they get and the more they cost to repair. That's exactly right. So there's a strong argument that this is fiscally uh, responsible to address the problem. And we're pleased that uh, there is a lot of bipartisan lawmaker attention towards the problem. If you have, uh, you know, for example, with your home, if you don't repair uh, the roof and replace it with the regularity that's required, then you start to get some rot uh, with your lumber in the attic. And that's certainly not something you want. If you don't replace the pads on your car, you're going to have to replace the rotors. And that just costs more money. So certainly this is fiscally responsible. There is almost $36 billion in economic activity that our national parks support, more than 300,000 jobs annually. And all of that economic activity relies on now more than 300 million visitors each year having a safe and functional and enjoyable and inspiring visit. In order to have that, you need those basic facilities that are going to provide that visitor experience that people expect in our national parks. Talk to me about some of the legislation attempts to help. I, I know there are bills in Congress at the moment. Uh, what is the prospect of those? Uh, do we expect that they'll go through? And right. So there have been a number of bills introduced uh, in this Congress, which is uh, going to end in just a few weeks. Uh, the bills right now that are uh, consensus bills that everyone is getting around, that is Republicans and Democrats in Congress and supported by the administration, is on the Senate side, the Restore Our Parks Act, and on the House side, the Restore Our Parks and Public Lands Act. Uh, and it, it has that name on the House side because this would not just address national park infrastructure, but also on some other public lands like national wildlife refuges. The bills dedicate $6.5 billion over five years to address the maintenance backlog. I mentioned it's an $11.6 billion problem, but this would be sufficient funding to address the Park Service's highest priority projects. This is the stuff that really needs to get taken care of to prevent you know, irreparable harm, permanent disrepair, uh, the things that visitors use, the things that staff use, things of historical significance. So $6.5 billion over five years, that is up to $1.3 billion annually. 
is a good amount of money. It's a, it's a robust and dependable amount of money. It's dependable because it has a funding source that can be relied on. That is, it comes from energy receipts. So offshore oil and gas, renewables, there are billions of dollars in energy receipts coming in each year. And so a portion of those would be diverted and dedicated towards this need. The Park Service would uh, prioritize their projects according to the matrix that they have to identify the things that have the greatest urgency so that over roughly the next decade after bill passage, uh, we would see these repair needs get taken care of. As for for this bill actually moving through this Congress, we're certainly hopeful. Uh, we now have uh, 204 co-sponsors, I believe, at last count in the House, which is nearly half of the House. Uh, this is a lot of bipartisan members, and that bill is led by a couple of unlikely allies, Republican and Democrat, who had the Natural Resources Committee. So there's a lot of support there. And in the Senate now, there are 33 co-sponsors from both sides of the aisle. So there's a lot of support there. Both of those moved through in their respective committees. So now they are awaiting floor action, which is which is certainly a sign of hope. The challenge is that there is limited time left on the calendar for the floor. So this is a question of party leadership deciding that this bill is so critical that it needs to move in the remaining weeks. We and others are certainly working to impress upon them the importance of getting this bill done this year. It would be disappointing to have to come back next year. And for our organization and others who are working on this bill, we, we certainly have some hope. Talk to me a second about the money from the energy leases. Is this tied to any new energy leases, or is this just money that's coming in already? Uh, excellent question. Already coming in. There have been proposals before that would be tied to new leasing, and there were certainly concerns. This bill, however, which is part of why so many can rally around it, is that it is uh, dependable. We know the funds would be there, and this is from leasing that is already happening. So the money is already coming in. Uh, it's just a matter of diverting some of that that's already coming into the federal coffers. I'd like to turn for a second, if we could, to the outdoor industry associations, particularly the, the Recreational Vehicle Industry Association, which we're you know, closely related to. Several of them are, are pushing for more and more privatization of public lands, of campgrounds, of lodges, of you know, more concessionaire contracts as a way to help stabilize our parks, as a way to help improve uh, some of the facilities that are uh, available. Is privatization something that works? Is it proven to be successful in the past? Well, there may be some places that we would find appropriate for expansion of concessionaire operations. We would, on a case-by-case -case basis, interested in seeing what those proposals are. However, on the whole, we don't feel that it is a realistic solution to addressing uh, some of the large amounts that we see in the deferred maintenance. There are a number of problems that concern us. Uh, one would be that the most profitable uh, operations are already happening. There are concessions operations throughout the national park system. 
And so uh, there would be the question of, for example, in the case of campgrounds, if the private sector is interested in bidding on contracts, it would be because they could make a profit. And so how could they make that profit? Well, it would be either the most profitable campgrounds for the park service, in which case that does not alleviate their uh, fiscal concerns, or some of the less profitable campgrounds, they would, by necessity, uh, raise the price for visitors. We want parks to remain affordable for the Americans who own them. And so uh, that would certainly be a concern there. There was an exercise in both the 80s and 90s uh, within the Park Service to examine opportunities for franchising out more park services in terms of uh, day-to-day maintenance and other services. Ultimately, what the Park Service found was that there would not realistically be cost savings with a lot of these things, essentially for the reasons I mentioned. It sometimes it's just it just makes more sense for the Park Service to do these operations. So. Again, there may be some opportunities there, but we would caution anyone to think that privatizing park facilities is really a realistic and robust solution to addressing the deferred maintenance backlog. The other problem that uh, I should mention is the visitor experience. Uh, The park ranger in their flat hat is a uh, very loved and appreciated public servant. To have those park staff uh, enhances the experience for visitors who see that ranger, who can who can provide advice to them. To have private sector staff is is just a different experience for the visitor. And so there is a lot of value to having park rangers. So I, you said something interesting to me, um, and that feels so strongly about what you said about park rangers there and, and wanting to see them and having that interaction is a, is a big part of the experience. But I, I want to step back a second. When you were talking about the, the, these private entities, do they even want the campground? So, for instance, you've got Zantera at Yellowstone, and they've, they run Fishing Bridge and, and some lodgings. And then there are a whole lot of campgrounds with, with no amenities, but there are a whole lot of campgrounds at Yellowstone that are still operated by the National Park Service. But they're they're small. They they don't have hookup. They don't charge the same rates. So you're saying that Zantara probably wouldn't even be interested in running those campgrounds. So the Park Service still has to be in the business of running campgrounds anyway. For the the campgrounds with uh, minimal facilities, for one thing, some visitors are looking for that experience. And they want something that just has less infrastructure and feels more wild, if you will. If those facilities are going to be upgraded, then either there will be a high cost to the park service, which certainly doesn't alleviate their deferred maintenance problem. On the contrary, it would add to it by having more facilities that need to be maintained. Or those facilities are improved at the cost of a concessioner, in which case by the general rules of private sector capitalism, uh, you would need to increase fees in order to recoup your costs. And we would have concerns there. There may be some places where it makes sense, but by and large, as a practice to address the Park Service deferred maintenance backlog, the numbers aren't there as far as we can tell. 
John Garter from the National Parks Conservation Association. Thanks so much for joining us. This is a really interesting uh, overview of the problem, and I really hope uh, it gets solved. And I, I know you do, too, in the, in the coming year. Thanks for your interest in our national parks and for uh, your interest in our views. We are back in noisy Las Vegas, and we again want to thank John Garter of the National Parks Conservation Association for being on the show. What a great resource he is, and what a great resource they are for our national parks. Absolutely, and it's just really nice to hear from someone who's kind of on the front lines of what's going on here to take care of the backlog, and then also make sure that the parks are accessible for all and remain so for many generations to come. So we just wanted to take a little bit of time here at the end of the show to talk about some of the things that you can do to help support our national parks, because it's not just as cut and dry as giving them money, although you can do that. And they would (laughs) gladly take it (laughs) for sure. But if there is something that you want to find out more on after you've listened to John talk or maybe you've read particular articles, we always encourage people to visit the National Parks Conservation Association's website, npca.org, or to go over to the National Park Foundation, which is the nonprofit partner of the National Park Service. These are two really great resources who are going to be able to answer, I think, a lot of your questions about what's going on with the national parks, what's being done, how you can get involved on a national level but also how you can get involved on a local level. And I think when you talk about any sort of involvement or any sort of attempts at change, positive change, I do think it really does start at the local individual level. The fees for entry are a tiny, tiny fraction of the cost of national parks. You could increase them to $500 a person to get in. And it wouldn't really totally solve our problem, especially because nobody would go to the national park. No, that would definitely not solve the problem because then no one would be in the parks. Half the problem, I think a little bit too, is that a lot of people are in the parks. Yeah. And so maintenance is greater. The need for it is greater because more people are using the resources, driving on the roads, walking on the trails, going over the bridges. Find your park in and around where you live, whatever your mile radius that you're willing to travel, find your park and then find out how you can help that park. Or whatever park you feel is neglected, whatever park you feel needs special treatment. If you want to put your money into that park, put your money where your mouth is and help them out. Almost every single park has some sort of nonprofit partner. Uh, there's the National Park Foundation that's that's the national partner, but then each park generally has some sort of nonprofit like Zion Forever, for instance, at, at Zion National Park where we just were, where you can you can support people who are directly working with that specific park. Yeah, and 
it doesn't have to be also just about your money. I think that if you can give your time, a lot of places will have Saturday national volunteer cleanup days where you can go around the park, you can pick up trash or you can assist in other ways that they need volunteers. All the parks need volunteers. And it's through volunteers that a lot of the smaller jobs, the the jobs that no one can ever get to because they're so busy looking at the bigger picture. It's through those volunteers that those smaller things can happen. And those smaller things, when you start to add them all together, make into one really big thing. And so everyone's involvement is going to be different, but you can look at it on a national level with these two organizations we've suggested. You can find your park. You can do it at findyourpark.com. But then once you find your park, find out if that park has a not-for-profit associated with it and contact that not-for-profit. Ask them how you can help. Think about as we roll into the holiday season too, you know, if you buy from a national park gift shop, not one that is perhaps contracted out and being privately run, but the one that's run by either the not-for-profit organization or the national park site itself, part of that money is going to go back into the park. And a lot of them have websites where you can buy stuff online. Absolutely. So think about that as the holidays start rolling around. Maybe there's a Ken Burns documentary that someone wants to devote 22 hours of their life to. (laughs) Purchase that not on Amazon. Purchase that through a park. Purchase that through the website. Go to the gift shop of your local national park and just walk around. Maybe there's an item here or there for someone you know who's an avid hiker or who enjoys going out into the backcountry. One of the books my kids just find to be absolutely hilarious, but at the same time, completely educational, is the Who Pooped? <laughs> That's like at every single national park gift shop, the Who Pooped book. What a fun, silly little thing to give to someone in the holiday season, but it's also really educational. It's also giving back to your parks. Another way you can help support parks, and I read a, a great article recently that was about how clothing companies, how outdoor clothing companies are saving our parks. And we certainly have been seeing that firsthand with our relationship with L.L. Bean. L.L. Bean has pledged $3 million to the National Parks Foundation. And they also just recently announced uh, a large million plus, I think, grant that is going to uh, public lands. And, you know, you can support retailers like L.L. Bean who are doing that kind of work. But instead of going to Walmart, you know, go to get your gear at an outdoor retailer who is giving back. Absolutely. If you're in the market for a new car, consider a Subaru. You know, they're a partner of the National Park Service as well. Hey, if you're hungry for a granola bar, grab a Nature Valley. You know, just take a look, I think, as a consumer, if your national parks are important to you, take a look as a consumer as to where your dollar goes when you purchase products outside of something that's national park based, because even those products, even giving just a little bit more to buying that granola bar or that particular vest or pair of hiking pants or a pair of boots, whatever, know that some of that money is going to make its way back to the park. We could sit and talk all day long about the article Jason wrote about all the great points that John brought up. We can talk all day long about changes, ideas that are being thrown around for the parks that maybe aren't the best way 
to help our parks. It's just a small band-aid over big giant wound. But at the end of the day, it's really an individual effort to do what we can in order to make sure that our parks are around for generations and generations. And so we really felt that spending a little bit of time after this interview with John, spending a little bit of time afterwards talking about how we now as listeners, as consumers can help the National Park Conservation Association, can help our National Parks Foundation and help our National Parks Service with this massive backlog that is real even if the number maybe is a little off here and there, it's, well, it's still real. It's a number that's been politicized. We we talked about this months ago. I wrote an article about it months ago. This this large backlog uh, that uh, this eleven point five million dollars, I believe, is what John said, is something like that. Billion, no, right? Billion dollars. Excuse me. It's been a politicized number, and some say it has been inflated to the point where it sounds. Unrealistic, unrealistic to, unachievable to, to fix. Uh, part of that is because highways, public highways that run through the national park system and and, and uh, highways like the Blue Ridge Parkway, roadways that really should be considered part of our federal highway system actually fall on the, the national parks balance sheet. That's a big, big portion of it. But uh, but there are, and, and there are a lot of pet projects. There are a lot of things that don't have to be not, but done now that are just wants that would be nice. But I think this this five or six billion that may go through Congress is really going to go a long way to solve the issue. It's great that it's got bipartisan support. It's great that it's not tied to anything. It's not yeah, tied that's... to like it's some other change that's going to damage the parks. And I think in the final way you can really help support the parks is to call your congressperson, to write your congressperson and say that you support repairs and upkeep to the national parks. Absolutely. Parks for all. And in order for there to be parks for all, we all must do our part. Because it's, import- it's important for, for us to have places, for us to have organizations like like the National Parks Conservation Association to speak for the parks, to speak for nature and to speak for us as people. Cause there are a lot of, there are a lot of different organizations lobbying to, to make different things happen at the parks. The outdoor industry is, is really interested in more concessionaire contracts, more privatization, which as John said, can be useful in some instances but it generally only adds maintenance cost to the park service and doesn't really solve a problem. So support these organizations that are fighting for your needs uh, instead of their needs, I think is the, is the best way I can put that. Well said. And I think on that note, let's move on and do our brain teaser. Wrap this up. This is another how did I die one. You are very morbid towards the end of October. You've really embraced this whole Halloween theme for the first time ever. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a big Halloween. No, no, you're not. I love Halloween. I do not dress in costume. That is not my thing. I don't think I've seen you dressed in costume since Halloween 2006. But I love candy. So, you know, it is important holiday to me for that reason. Yes, you will get your children dressed up. 
And go get them candy. Yeah, and I have to, to eat it so quickly okay, because no. you throw it all away after a certain amount of time, and I'm, I you know, do I'm not out of candy. I just you do after you do, you throw it all away. I throw the junk away. <laughs> you throw you throw the candy corn. I'm sorry, away. yeah, nobody wants candy corn. Like, let's just can we just all agree hey. right now that candy corn is not good. Grandma Tammy's listening, and she loves candy corn. I just know. saying. Hey, all right, brain teaser goes like this. A man sitting at a table is dead with 53 bicycles laying all around him. How did he die? And no, it wasn't by getting a bunch of bicycles thrown at him. <laughs> Bicycle gang. <laughs> we'll have the answer to that and a whole lot more on next week's episode of RV Miles. We sure will. And as always, if you are enjoying the podcast and we sure hope that you are, we would love a five-star review wherever you are listening. And we'd also love it if you would just share us around your social media. You can always grab the latest episode right off the RV Miles Facebook page or Twitter Instagram and you can share it right there. Although it's not that easy to share something off Instagram. Instagram really doesn't actually like you to share anything. So head over to Facebook, head over to Twitter, share the latest episode. We would so appreciate it. And until next week, we send you all our very best wherever you are listening and keep logging those RV miles. Bye everybody. Bye.